and welcome to the first episode of the Moving It On podcast series. This series is a co-production between Festival Bridge and Royal Opera House Bridge. My name is Julia Lawrence and I'm your host for these sessions. And our aim with this monthly podcast series is to help arts and cultural organisations with their digital development, particularly in terms of their learning programmes. So over the course of this year, we hope to find out what's been going on in schools in terms of online and hybrid learning. We'll be highlighting some of the great work that's been going on uh, in arts organisations over the last couple of years. We'll talk about evaluation methods and we'll be looking at some of the emerging research around effective approaches and online learning. And we'll probably talk about many other things too. And all of this is to help colleagues better understand where they should be putting their effort and resource in terms of their learning offers now and into the future. So is the future digital? Is it hybrid? Or is it very much in real life? Is it face to face? These are some of the questions we hope to find answers to. So today in episode one, our focus is what's been going on in schools, what developments have taken place over the last couple of years and what practice might be here for good. And to discuss this, I'm delighted to welcome two senior leaders from the region, Joanne Clifton, who is, let me just get this title right, Director of Curriculum and Virtual Learning for the Elliott Foundation. Hello, Joanne. Welcome. Happy New Year. Good to meet you. Thank you. And also Angie Hamilton, who is Strategic Lead for Primary for the Wensum Trust. Hello, Angie, and Happy New Year. Hello to both of you. So first off, before we get stuck in, there's been a lot in the news about schools in the last couple of days that always is, but particularly so since the beginning of the year, about COVID testing regimes, staff absences, redeploying your art specialist air filters or not enough air filters, etc. So how has the start of term been? What's been going on for you, Joanne? Do you want to kick off and tell us what's been going on at the Elliott Foundation? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think the schools are struggling a bit. At the moment, um, I think shortly before Christmas, there were a lot of positive COVID cases and then the associated difficulties of having enough staff in school um, to keep keep the school going. Um, at the moment, we're hanging on in there. We haven't had a school closure yet and we haven't had any year group or class closures, but it still feels quite tentative at the moment. I think it's a day at a time in some cases. Yeah, I'm sure. And Angie, has it been the same for you and the Wensum Trust? It has. We um, reflect what's happening nationally around um, the issues with COVID, with staff sickness, and just making sure that we operate as normally as possible. And it's not a situation in our schools. Um, and we take it as a day to day work as best yeah. we can yep I, I think we're all kind of wondering what normal is aren't we <laughs> now and I, I'm guessing that those challenges will remain for uh, well at least the next few weeks but I guess you're getting used to contending with new and difficult challenges it's your day-to-day so I just want to roll back a bit and hear about your schools and your trust and your community and a bit about your role. So so setting the context, I guess, for the Wensum Trust and the Elliott Foundation. So Angie, do you want to tell us about the Wensum Trust? Thank you. So the Wensum Trust is made up of 11, have eight primary schools, some have nursery provision, and we have three secondary schools. Norfolk's a large county, so we split into three hubs, the rural, the coastal and the city hubs and this helps us to work together and we work really closely with each community. Um, our aim is to make sure that we work really closely with families and 
provide a continuous pathway from nursery through to 16 plus. And we have a commitment to provide diverse experience for all our children to enable them to flourish and reach their potential. Thanks, Angie. And jo Joanne, do you want to tell us about the Elliott Foundation? Yes, absolutely. So the Elliott Foundation um, is a multi-academy trust and charity with charitable objectives um, around um, support for families and disadvantaged communities. So there's both strands of work, I guess, going on with the schools-based work, but also an integral part of that is um, support for vulnerable communities. For example, a, a really exciting but sadly necessary scheme during the pandemic to deliver food to our families. Um, there are schools in three regions, the West Midlands, London and East Anglia, um, and we're at 30 schools now and broadly the same in each region. Um, it's a primary only academy trust, which makes it perhaps more unusual than some of the others. But um, And in East Anglia particularly, the schools are spread across a large area of the region and are the newest region to join the trust. So there have been some challenges there. There are schools in March and Wisbeach, some schools in Peterborough, one school um, out more towards Eli and another school, Ramsey, which is sort of further out on its own. And particularly for those schools, I think transport and collaborative working has historically been an issue. I imagine there's a bit of a crossover, isn't there, between some of your schools, mm -hmm. Angie, and some of Joanne's yes. schools. And and, and, yeah. and and what's your role, Joanne? What does it um, mean? So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been a head teacher in the Elliott Foundation since the start, since 2012 in Birmingham, um, in a school called Billsley Primary. But it was about, well, the start of the pandemic, really, um, when I started working with the central team, primarily to support the development of virtual learning with a focus on the curriculum and the learning as much as the tech because the tech was in quite a good place um, now my role is has very much developed into that wider curriculum support and development for the schools as well so i'm working with each individual school with the region as well to make the curriculum the best it can be in line with the trust values and aspirations for the children the virtual learning side, it, it's very hard to separate the two. We've increasingly found the more we work on it, virtual learning and the curriculum developments just keep tailoring together, even though when we first um, envisaged what it would look like, they were quite separate. Oh, that's really interesting. Angie, I could see you nodding there. Um, have you got a similar role with, with Wentham around the curriculum? Yes, so we um, very much focus on, on primary and secondary, although there's a lot of overlap in terms of ensuring we have a seamless transition between the schools. Um, we've work, been working really closely with our schools on the curriculum and school improvement um, since I joined two years ago. That is that is my role. And beyond that, it's about working with our partners. We, we're working with a number of partners besides um, Norwich Theatre, which is our arts partner. We work with the, the Zoological Society, um, North Walsham Rugby Club. So we have a diverse number of partners and we use those to enrich the curriculum for our children so that we can um, raise their aspirations and make sure that they have a career path because we go beyond the academic in our schools and it's making sure that we have a really rich 
um, provision for all our children. You've started to talk about this, Angie, but I know that, you know, both of your trusts have really strong commitments to the arts. And you mentioned your partnership with Norwich Theatre Royal. Um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your ethos and approach in terms of the arts? And, you know, are you just working with the Theatre Royal, Angie? Have you got other arts partnerships in place in the region? It is mainly with the Theatre Royal um, because that has been standing um attachment with our trust um, it was formed a number of years ago and we had a unique partnership because it was working with a secondary school and an infant school together and that through an umbrella trust was really fundamental to actually starting our trust um, and we're really committed to making sure that we have bespoke opportunities so we are exploring that a little bit further in terms of working with the Royal Shakespeare Company um, but that's very early days but our work and I know with Norwich Theatre and I know you're probably going to talk about it, but you've got um, a Paul Hamlin Foundation grant to develop right. uh, a blended programme of professional development with them, which yes. sounds very exciting. It is, it is really exciting. And, and our teachers are hugely engaged with that, which is really it's having impact almost immediately, which we're very excited about. So, Joanne, what about for the Elliott Foundation? Do you want to tell us about your ethos and approach and any any significant partnerships? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Elliott Foundation approach to the curriculum is that it must be rooted in the context of each school. There isn't an Elliott Foundation curriculum. There are values, but not a formal curriculum that each school must do. So my role has been about working with the schools to evaluate that, to make sure that their curriculum offer is as good as it could be you know and that they're really thinking about the communities that they serve um and how that that works for them um and i have to say it's a really interesting role to take you know looking at the history of the area the cultural offer and so on and how we can make best use of that um the the role of the arts and culture um has been a fascinating growth really because i'd say the strongest region was the west midlands originally um, which had got a strong arts network that I was involved in setting up when I was back in school as a head um, at Billsley. And we'd got a network working closely with the bridge, Arts Connect in the West Midlands. Um, and the focus there had been growing the Arts Ambassador Network, growing the children who were leading the recruitment of practitioners in school. And after a while we were reflecting on the success of the group that was particularly impacting on leadership capacity in the schools so it was that impact on school improvement processes rather than something that's nice to have um, and we were discussing how we could make that happen for the whole of the trust on a national level um, and that's where we met festival bridge in east anglia and the royal opera house um, because we put together a National Arts Investment Programme bid um, with the Arts Council and um, with a new direction in London as well, so that there was funding for each region, which the Trust matched, to um, set up a network in partnership with the bridge organisations in each region. The West Midlands has continued to grow um, with more involvement of teachers and arts leaders rather than the arts lead you know having to lead it yeah. on yeah 
Um, East Anglia has been really fascinating because I think for us in our schools, we were we were building from scratch, really. Um, we've got a very enthusiastic arts lead at Cavalry um, in March. And then we've been working closely with Festival Bridge and the Royal Opera House to launch a programme. We're just at the end of year one. And now we're, we're kind of regrouping and saying what was the learning from that ready for year two. But it's um, it was a fascinating programme because a lot of it really was about getting the schools on board, um, that this wasn't a nice to have, <laughs> but it yeah, was, yeah. you know, a really important part of our work as schools. And I think um, there were two particularly interesting aspects of learning. It was very much bringing the schools together across a region that has geographical challenges. It was exciting. It was just what we needed to keep us going through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, but also we can see the emergence of arts leadership. We know we've got a long way to go with that. It is new, it's our first year. Um, but I think having that sort of wow factor and that success and a great partner to work with and the strength of the bridge as well um, has really laid the foundations for that. That's really interesting, Joanna. And you've managed to say all that without mentioning creativity collaboratives. Do you want to, do you want to, <laughs> do you want to mention that so I can say congratulations to you? <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Yes, we put in a, bridge, um, in a bid to be one of the eight creativity collaboratives um, as part of the Arts Council strategy, Let's Create, for the next 10 years. And we were extremely excited to be successful. East Anglia will be joining us for year two of the programme because they wanted this year to establish the learning um, from the national programme. But they're very much involved, the arts lead and festival are very much involved in the planning stages and developing the theory of yeah. change um, so that they can start to identify the strands that will be important for them in developing their own research questions in the region as we go forward. So that's two things for us to keep an eye on uh, the work with the creativity collaboratives from uh, the Elliott Foundation and also the teacher development fund project with um, the Wensum Trust and Theatre Royal. We'll be keeping a beady eye on both. Um, I just want, I, I do want to find out about uh, how you engaged or not with the arts during um, the lockdown months and over the last couple of years. But before we do that, I wonder if we could just set the scene in terms of digital and your trusts. How teched up were you before the pandemic and, and what have your digital developments been over the last couple of years? That, that's a really interesting question and a good question to reflect on um, for our schools because prior to lockdown, we did we have a range of technology in schools that we make use of. But my feeling is that we tend to be behind what happens at home for children. So children often have phones, they have all sorts of the Internet of Things and they're very much digital natives. We seem in education to be very much behind um, what happens for our children. And it's, it always seems to be a catch up. During lockdown, it, we had to make sure that the teachers were upskilled and ready for Google Classrooms, as well as children and parents um, one of our biggest um, 
areas for development has been working with parents to make sure they understand what's happening in terms of digital technology and how that works in education for their children, make sure they have Wi-Fi connection, make sure that they have the technology to, to um, for children to access learning. And so it's been a huge learning curve, I think, for, for everyone. And so now, um, as we use Google Classrooms, but teachers are really au fait um, with the technology and very quick to go to virtual learning if they need to. It happens overnight. Um, they have all sorts of, sorts of resources to hand um, and they just get on and do it. And the children are amazing and they're very flexible around moving between digital and um, being face to face. I think that's that's the way we're going forward. One, interestingly, recently, something that's happened in our schools is we're working, as I said, with Norwich Theatre and the the actors have been coming into school to work with teachers and due to COVID, one couldn't. So the teacher led the session with the children with the actor remoting in to the classroom and they said how good that was because the teacher had control and but had a voice in their ear about things they could do and how they could develop their classroom practice. And that actually was very effective. We would never have dreamt of doing that previously. And so I think there's been a massive mindset change on how we use technology and how flexible we are. That's really, really interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I do want to ask you about, you know, s some of the things that might stick and some of the things that arts and cultural organisations should consider. But but just what, what you've talked about there is absolutely fantastic. And I've heard of another example in the region, I know of another, where Dance East have been doing similar. So supporting um, teachers to teach dance at Key Stage 2. So with a, with a you know, dance specialist support in their ear or on the screen, but the teacher leading it in the classroom. Interesting. Joanne, I want to ask you as well, and I think we can bring in that, um, you know, the, the, the thing you said about not being too distinct about learning online or learning face to face, because I was really struck by the DFE guidance, which seems to have a red line around online learning. It's like keep children in school at all costs. Face to face is best. And if you're going to move online, then synchronous or nothing. So I'm now asking you a different question. But, um, <laughs> you know, you, you, you're saying that actually and, and what Angie said is that it can be almost as good as the face to face experience. It's just it's different, but as good as. Yeah, is, is, absolutely. Would you say? <laughs> Yeah, um, do you know, um, there was a real turning point for me some years ago um, because um, the school that I was at um, was very, very interested in um, having a, a resource-based specialist provision for children with autism and the learning that comes from working with children, families and specialist teachers around that area. And that it was like a light bulb moment for me in terms of virtual learning and the use of technology because one of the issues around profound autism um, is that communication isn't it communication and language and the children feeling confident and comfortable to communicate um, and the teacher that I was working with I remember going into her classroom one day and she'd got the Chromebooks out and was doing what looked like a really successful, interesting lesson, but the children were all on their screens. You know, there were six children in the room. She was sort of to the side, very much working from her Chromebook, but communicating with them all at once. And I was fascinated at the potential there and how that was working so well, because academically, 
they were all doing very well around the tasks that they'd been given. It was a piece of writing, but they were having an ongoing chat with the teacher who was prompting them and moving them along beautifully. Um, so they were getting the instant feedback that they craved, but without having those moments of difficulty or confrontation or whatever in front of the rest of the group. Um, and I, that definitely opened up to me really what the possibilities were here. So I wouldn't see it as sort of separate or a binary opposition in any way. It's an integrated part of what you do. Mm. And I think um, when the pandemic started, if you'd asked me in March, the March that the schools began to close or certainly close up to a point, that I would be director of virtual learning, I would have laughed. <laughs> because, I'm laughing now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, I'd been interested, but I wasn't a specialist by any stretch of the imagination. But I think actually that could have really helped because in the way that Angie's described, you know, for me, it was very much a mindset change about, well, hang on, the curriculum's what I'm really passionate about. So how can we work here? Um, I was very lucky, the trust was well set up in terms of the use of Google. Um, there were already a wealth of Chromebooks and devices in schools and the central team were fantastic at getting plenty of devices out to family and providing support for um, access to Wi-Fi and so on. Um, and we ended up with a one-to-one -one ratio device in terms of disadvantaged children and families, so not quite everybody. Um, but as Angie said, some people have got more access than others. Um, I think that, again, I was lucky because I have a small team that work with me who are, there's one in each region. So the one in the East is at Cavalry as well, working closely with the Arts Lead. So that's fortunate. Um, and they are uh, Google Innovators, Regional Innovations Lead. So I could, I meet with them once a week and talk about what's going on and they bring their work to me so there was they became like my senior leadership team in a way and we worked very closely together to say right okay what do we need to do fast to help the schools get up to scratch um with the work that they're doing and i'd got i have them one day a week so it's not huge but i think we can do a lot in a day by being focused each we have a sort of we call it a digital pedagogy program, but that's that sounds more rigid than it is because it's bespoke depending on where we think the schools are at. But quickly we were able to allocate them to schools and East Anglia actually was our region of biggest focus, being the newest to the trust. And every school was engaging in a program of digital pedagogy training linked to areas of the curriculum that were part of their online offer. So a lot of investment went into developing curriculum resources and frameworks and templates and things like that. Um, but again, it wasn't it wasn't rigid. It was more about, OK, yeah. how can we do this the best that we can rather than say, here you are, we're going to impose on you what we think your online curriculum looks like. I, I think teachers have a lot of professionalism around deciding what's best for their not just for the school but for the children in their class and it's, it's keeping that connection that's so important even in a virtual world it's that relationship between the teacher and the class and even including the teaching assistants you know very early on we were making those phone calls to families to make sure they were all right um, and then 
because we did that, we were able to better engage with the whole family and keep that connection going. One of the things we did that's been really successful has been storytelling and doing Jack and Nori type stories because we, we really believe in a story rich environment and making sure that it happens even in the virtual world. And parents have really loved that. They've enjoyed the Jack and Nori time that the schools have had right through to, to um, top of key stage two. And it is that connection between the teacher and the class that's so important. Um, thank you for that. And I, I, Joanne, you, you mentioned about um, teachers creating resources and using resources. Did, did you use resources, either of you, from your local arts and cultural organisations during this time? Has that been a part of your online offer? Yeah, um, so in um, East Anglia, obviously working with the Royal Opera House, the, the programme was still able to develop at considerable depth over that period of time because the network was already set up and ready to go. So the teachers continued to work together um, online, working with practitioners from the Royal Opera House, you know, in, in a, I would say probably a hybrid way but the network maintained, I think, through working online. In the West Midlands, um, there was a partnership with the Birmingham Rep Theatre, and they switched very quickly to some of the things that Angie's described, actually, through storytelling sessions, interactive drama sessions that schools could take and put out as part of their offer and use the stimulus of that session for their writing developments, for example. And I think there were similar similar activities going on in London. Again, I think we were probably a bit more embedded in the West Midlands because we'd we'd had time prior to the pandemic to embed those relationships. Yeah, it is quite, I was looking at some research from the audience agency about um, all cultural audiences during COVID. And, you know, although, potentially we could access the arts from anywhere in the world uh, most audiences actually wanted to go back to the organizations they they knew and they had established partnerships with and I think that's happened in schools as well hasn't it you know it's mm -hmm. where you have the trusted partnership in place can I just talk a bit about the program that you're involved in around teacher development so that's a, a two-year project and you're sort of exploring what effective uh, practice might look like online and face-to-face, -face, what a blended programme of professional development might look like in arts-based learning. So, so why, why, why are you engaged in this? What, what, what's, what's the purpose for the trust? And I don't know if you can speak on behalf of the theatre, but why? So for, for our trust, it's, it's about our, our um, key priorities, which is about mental health and well-being for our children. And we know that when children feel safe, they are better at the learning and the, therefore their achievement and then giving them life skills so it's those three elements that are crucial for us and so Norwich here to bring that in terms of their, their work with artists and what we really want is through stories and story sharing for children to have the confidence to speak out to develop their vocabulary to develop their skills around being confident to speak to different audiences but beyond that, it's about exploring the emotions. One of the things we have in our schools is we have 15 minutes of reading for pleasure. The teacher reads to the class for sheer pleasure and sheer enjoyment. And that's the element at the moment that we're really developing so that teachers, they have that quiet time. And we, we are exploring more about the neural pathways and how that's 
um, impacting on executive function for our children so that they then are better ready to learn. So instead of having story time at the end of the day, it's actually during the school day um, and it's a part of our curriculum. And then exploring further how we make sure that, that children have understand about different um, arts and different career pathways they can take because it's not always about the academic. It's about the, the whole life of the child. I was really interested to hear what Joanne was saying about it not being um, a want, it's actually a, a real need in our schools to work with the arts and to have that because that's what makes us human, having yeah. that, that, that whole arts and cultural element as part of our curriculum. For sure. And, and, and I guess the fact that you're exploring sort of a blended approach to this gets over some of the barriers you must face around sort of serving quite a big area and you know you've got your clusters and, and for you too Joanne you know you've got your schools spread across such a um, a vast geographical area that I suppose o online or blended it enables reach doesn't it? it enables access. So I think it goes beyond that it's about teachers professionalism and when they want to engage in development so we have we've really and um, engage with the Padlet and we have little short videos on the Padlet that teachers can go I go and use them because I think they're fantastic three or four minute video clips that really help you think about how you're presenting to class to other people in different situations and I think that's really valuable. That's really interesting because I've been um, I'm, I'm a big fan of FutureLearn I don't know either of you do it's an online platform and it hosts loads of learning programs from around the world and I've noticed that lots of organizations that uh, are involved in professional development so the Chartered College and STEM learning centers and Raspberry Pi Foundation as well as Interfilm or at least it used to put up programs there I think it's got its own platform now but they're they're, they're posting courses for teachers up there and it you know, it makes me wonder if, you know, there's definitely a move to it, but do you think there's an appetite for online professional learning? Joanne, I've heard you speak about this before and it kind of being a revolution for you during lockdown one. Do you want to say something about it? Yeah, I think before the pandemic, one of the things that we talked a lot about um, in our regions, but across the Trust as a whole, was trying to bring down the walls, the sort of mental and physical walls around each of the schools and encourage collaboration. Because once you can get that going, you know, it's such a massive strength and you actually have great trust and honesty and sharing of strengths between the schools. Um, and I think what the pandemic enabled us to do was to give teachers a lot of ownership over what they wanted to learn about and me too I was watching all kinds of videos and finding things out that I had no idea about I'm not sure if this is the right phrase but it was a kind of leveler really everybody could go and have a look at anything and there were four more learning opportunities laid on um, but I think one of the most successful approaches that was taken at trust level was um, sort of mini learns quick learns taster sessions a kind of learning festival that was full of short taster sessions as well just to open people's eyes to things that were going on across the trust but also um other things that were out there that you could just signpost people to but certainly that collaboration through online learning and working together and the professional development opportunities have enabled that to happen in a way that would never have done not at all 
Yeah, we talk about remote learning, but actually you're talking about connections, you know, it's sort mm -hmm. of the opposite of remote, isn't it? Angie? We, we found the same with working with the Paul Hamlin found that that whole building your network and seeing what's going on beyond Norfolk is really important for us. And so we've got our networks that are actually really strong between our schools. And now we're looking outwards to see where we can make connections with other schools and other trusts so that we do continue that development. And it's so much easier being able to do it digitally and virtually than face to face because you haven't got the, the travel and people can hook in at different times during the school. Either got PPA time or they've got um, you know, a little bit of lunch time maybe after school. Um, and even sometimes with their classes that they can actually make those connections. Um, and one of the things we're working with the Zoological Society for East Anglia, we have, um, coming into the classroom and, and sharing things with animals, which we could never do before. And so we're really, we're using it as an opportunity to enrich the lives just of our, our teachers, but of our children. And I think that's that's really important. And you were saying earlier, Julia, about those things that, that continue. Um, a lot of opportunities here um, that we can all embrace. So where should arts and cultural organisations put their efforts then? Is it is it back to face to face? Is it hybrid? Is it digital? What what do you think? What are your predictions or all your advice? I th I think it's a blend, and it's having that flexibility to do some face to face and then some work online. And Joanne, your head of virtual learning, what's your prediction? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Angie's right. I think um, you know I had a real lesson the other day actually because we were. We've been trying to plan the proper launch event for the creativity collaborative. So there's lots of planning and meetings gone on, but we haven't had an opportunity for everyone to get together. And it was due to take place next Monday and um, at Warsaw Art Gallery. And I was just on the verge of cancelling it again. And then James from Stan's Calf said to me, Joe, we cannot keep cancelling. Why are we cancelling? Actually, we know how to do it online we're going to do it online. So we, it was again, almost a reminder to say, it just needs to be an integral part of whatever we're planning. You know, what, what does the school need? What does the network need? What are teachers asking for? And let's not worry too much about the medium and how we're gonna do that. Let's analyze the problem first, let's reflect, let's plan, and then work from there. Because we've had some really successful programs now in collaboration by working virtually as well as in real life. Um, so I think it will ultimately be a blend. And I think it's about arts organisations just sort of having that ready and up their sleeves and seeing it as, as something that's not, not going away. But how can they help schools use it in the best way possible? I mean, I'm with Angie in terms of we've got Google Classroom, we've got systems that we can use that are quite simple. Teachers are flying, some of them particularly with using tools and finding out new ways of using stuff that's out there. But how can you challenge us more to do that better or in a more interesting way? You know, it might be in quite simple ways, just making short videos and helping us learn how to do that, you know? Um, or it might be something that's purely digital. Um, you know, there was some fascinating work. Thinking of Stanscap again, you did a whole series um, of short, as it were that were all done online 
um, during the pandemic. Well, again, we need to learn how to do that too. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really important. Actually, I was talking to a theatre company just before Christmas, and they said, you know, our job now is to is is to help schools understand that digital is not the last resort. You know, it can it can really in, enhance. It can do things differently. It can you know it can it can be the glue. It can be a thing in itself, but it's not just the last resort. So that's yeah, I think that's what you're both saying, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> so my final question is you know have you have you any advice for arts and cultural organizations now you know it's another difficult time for you and for them so have you have you got a bit of advice to kickstart 2022 i think my biggest piece of advice is is to reach out um, because the arts have got so much our schools as joanne said it's it's those simple things that they can help us with um and it's not just an add-on it's a fundamental part of of what we um, and I'd say in a very busy world, they need to th the arts need to think about very carefully about the key messages they want to deliver and make sure it's done in an accessible way, short, succinct, to the point, um, and embrace what's going on, see it as an opportunity. Thank you, Angie. Joanne, over to you. Yeah, very much reflecting what Angie has said too. I think... Um, I think we had a real appreciation for what the arts bring to our lives and how they enrich them um, during the pandemic and on, um, making life meaningful. And I think um, for schools and what I would ask of arts organisations is that reflection on how they can help schools right now. What do, what do schools really need? What are schools grappling with in terms of big picture? And it might be around well-being. It might be around human connection. It might be around language development. I mean, language development has been profoundly affected um, for some during the pandemic. And, you know, are there ways we can support language development through the arts, whether working digitally or in real life or in a blended way? You know, what else is around schools sort of top list right now, keeping the curriculum broad and balanced? You know, bits of it have fallen away. It's all too easy to lose music. Uh, for example, we've noticed issues around physical development amongst younger children that have come back. So it's kind of thinking and reflecting on those issues that are very much top of schools' agendas right now and ways in which, as Angie said, you can reach out and make those connections with schools to support them and help them move forward and kind of regroup as we go into 2022. Thank you. Thank you both so very much. Uh, you've provided such helpful input, I think, and such an interesting conversation. I'm still thinking, Angie, about story time at any time of the day for 15 minutes. How, lo how lovely. I think I want that in my day. So that's it for episode one. A uh, huge thank you to Angie Hamilton from the Wensum Trust and Joanne Clifton from the Elliott Foundation for giving up time in this first week of term. A big thanks also to students from Noise Solution for creating the music for the show. I'm sorry we are not able to play very much of it, but I'll put a link to their website on the show notes. So there'll be notes that will go alongside this podcast with links to both of the trusts and to some of the things that we've talked about. The next episode next month features colleagues from Cambridge Junction and Enact Theatre Company and we'll be looking at the success and learning from hybrid careers days and the amazing use of Facebook groups to connect with arts teachers across the region and uh, across Europe and beyond. So keep an eye out for that or an ear out for that. So that's it from me. Thank you and goodbye.